I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about next week. I'm excited about what God's going to do this fall. And man, just being in this room tonight, watching you guys worship, seeing you cry out to God, man, what an amazing, amazing, beautiful picture that was. Let's give God a hand for his goodness and how amazing he is. Yes. Now, we've been in this My Life, My Rules series. And uh, the first week, if you missed the teachings, the first and second week, I would encourage you to go back and get it. All the messages and things that we do for H12, uh, we podcast, and you can find it on iTunes or through our website. And we encourage you to do that, especially if you're on vacation one week, you miss a Tuesday night, to stay up with what we got going on. And, uh, and so the first week of this series, we talked about how God gave us rules for our prosperity. We talked about how that before God gave the Ten Commandments, before he gave the law to Moses, he says, hey, listen, I want you to tell the people, remind them that I am the one who set them free from Egypt. They had been in slavery for 430 years. They did not know what it was like to live in freedom. They didn't know what it was like to have true life. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was how to be dehumanized. And God says, hey, listen, I want you to remind them that I'm the one who set them free, that I set the captives free. And so that when they hear these rules, I know immediately was the moment they start hearing the Ten Commandments, as soon as they start hearing this, they are going to reject against it. They are going to go against it because deep within them, there is rebellion in us and, and there's rebellion in them. And we don't like people to tell us what to do. And so he is reminding them that he is the one who set them free so that they can know his character before he gives them the rules. And the truth is, is that you have to know God's character. A.W. Tozer says this, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. If you believe God to be an unruly dictator who wants to destroy your life and take away your fun, then that, that's going to be the way you live your life and how you view him. And if you, if you, God, is the one who sets captives free and the one who has the best for you, who wants you to have a full life, who wants you to have prosperity in your life, who loves you more than anything in the world, loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you so that you could be restored back into right relationship with him, that you're going to live your life as if you believe that to be true. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And then last week... We jumped in and we talked a little bit about how there's kind of a progression that goes. That, and I mentioned to you that me plus anything equals everything. That, that is rebellion. The rebellion is me plus anything equals everything. And that's what we do in our lives, right? We try to pursue all this stuff to find happiness, to find peace, to find joy, to find it in all of these different things in our lives. So I think if it's me plus success, me plus money, me plus accolades, you know you're in rebellion if you sit around and you think, if I only had this, life would be amazing. If I only had this guy, if I only had this girl, if I only had this money, if I only had this car, if I only had this relationship, this friendship, if I only had fame, if I only had popularity, then life would be worth living. If that is the way you think, then that is rebellion. Me plus anything equals everything. And then we talked about religion is Christ plus anything equals everything. Jesus plus doing good, Jesus plus going to church, Jesus plus whatever. If you feel like that is how you're going to find fulfillment in your life, that you feel like God loves you only when you can do all these different things, then that's religion. This is what Jesus came to address with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of this day. As in the conversation, he's been talking to the people who are spiritual, who are the religious, and he's talking to the people who is the sinner. And he's telling them, you need to watch out for that. Because what happens in religion is religion can not only be Christ plus anything equals everything, but it can be that anything can be me. Christ plus me equals everything. And remember, me plus anything equals everything is rebellion. So religion then turns back on itself and becomes rebellion. 
So truthfully, what the Bible teaches us is, is that it is Christ plus nothing equals everything. That's relationship. That it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is everything that I need. That I don't need anything else in my life to satisfy the deepest longings of my life. Because in Christ, he satisfies every longing in every core part of my being. That is who he is. That is his goodness. That is his grace. And so this week, we're going to cap off this My Life, My Rules series. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be talking to you about authority and God. God and authority. And, and before we get into this conversation, I want to read you a story that I read. So check this out. <laughs> this is a story of Christian Herter, who was a, he was a, he was a governor of Massachusetts. It says this. When Christian Herter was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day, after a busy morning chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late in the afternoon, and Herder was famished. As Herder moved down the serving line, he held out the plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece of, piece of uh, chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herder said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved. Is, is, is there any way I can have another piece? Sorry, the woman said again. Only one per customer. The governor herder was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he would throw his weight around a little bit. And he says, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And the woman replied, do you know who I am? I am the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, sir. Now, what is the moral of that story? Here's the moral of the story. Do not mess with the chicken lady at the church picnic. You know what I'm saying? The chicken lady at the church picnic has a lot of power. What we also can see in this is that the truth is every single one of us, no matter how much authority that you think you have, has others in authority over you in certain moments in your life that we have to submit to. Even Jesus understood this. Jesus modeled for us what submission looked like. We know Jesus was God in the flesh, that Jesus submitted himself. God the Son, Jesus, submitted himself to God the Father. And so he even says, I say what God tells me to say, what God the Father tells me to say. I do what God the Father tells me to do. He even says this, not my will, but your will be done. He even teaches us to pray that way. He says, listen, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about my will, but it's about your will. This is the way that Jesus modeled this for us. Now, I realize when we start talking about authority to teenagers, to students, it's kind of like giving a cat a bath. You know what I'm saying? Like he knows he needs it. You know the cat needs it, but, but you know he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want it, right? And uh, just to give you a visual around that, how many of you guys want to see a cat getting a bath? I do. Check this out. Awesome. It sounds like the cat is saying, no, 
no, no, he's yelling out, no. And, and listen, listen, that, that's kind of that's how, we, how we approach that conversation on authority. And that's how we think about authority. We're like, no, no, like, like I don't want authority in my life. Like, I don't, I don't want to have this conversation. Like, talking to students about authority is like giving a cat a bath. We, we don't want it. We don't want to hear about it. But the truth is, is that, that the Bible teaches us a lot about it. And when you get this and understand this, you understand that this is something that can change your life. It can change who you are. And the truth is, is that the reason that we rebel against authority is that in the core of who we are, in the core of who we are, we all have this proclivity or this bend towards or this hard wiring in us towards rebellion. We all do. We talked about that a little bit last week, that we're born with it. Like, you don't have to teach people how to be defiant. They just are defiant. In fact, I got a one-and-a-half-year-old little daughter. She's the cutest thing ever. And, uh, and, and my, my little baby girl, Abby, um, uh, she's a defiant little booger. You know what I'm saying? That's right. You can say that about your own kids. And uh, she's, she, she's defiant. And, and, and listen, I, I didn't teach her how to defiant, be defiant. She just, she, she just is. And here's the thing, she's a year and a half, but she knows what no means. She knows what no means. But if she wants something, it doesn't matter if I say no or not. She is upset unless she gets what she wants. Now, I didn't teach her that. It is just wired in her to be defiant, to be rebellious, even as a one and a half year old. Now, she loves keys, loves keys. And she's like a ninja key finder. It doesn't matter where you hide them. She's like a ninja. All of a sudden, she just comes running by with your keys in her hand. You're like, how did you get that? Like, I put that, like, on top of the refrigerator, and I put, like, a bookcase on top of that. And, like, somehow, you know, and, I mean, she is like a ninja when it comes to getting keys. In fact, my, literally, this is no lie. I'm telling you the truth like I would lie to you. But, uh, <laughs> like, I have to preface that. My wife, literally, when she goes somewhere, her purse is, like, one of those ginormous things. And it has, you know, a woman's purse has, like, their life in it. You know what I'm saying? Like she has like a machete in there and like, I am lying about that, but she does have a lot of stuff in there. And so what my wife does is she goes over and she just sets her purse on the ground and just watches it. And Abby walks over and she reaches her hand in there, pulls the keys out, Megan grabs the keys out of her hand, picks her up. All right, I'm leaving <laughs> because, because you man, I could dig in my wife's purse for like 30 minutes and not find keys. Abby walks over there. She's like, boom, just right, right here it is. And now here's the problem. When Abby gets the keys, she goes to our furniture and she starts like, like scratching on our furniture and scratching on different... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then she started doing this crazy thing like a week and a half ago. She takes the keys and she slowly tries to touch her eye with the key. She takes out her mother. And so she tries to touch her eye with the key. So it's kind of dangerous for her to have the key because she destroys stuff and she's going to, you know, destroy her vision. <clears throat> and so because I love her, I try to get the keys away from her. And so I will say, I will say in a firm voice, because I can be firm, and I'll say, Abby, give me the keys. And she starts walking towards me, holding them out. She's, and then she stops when she gets to me, and I reach out to grab the keys, and she goes. <laughs> she pulls them back, and she takes off running and laughs. She knows how to be rebellious, and she is so young. She, she has, she, I didn't have to teach her this. Defiance is just not in her. And listen, defiance is in me, 
and defiance is in you. We all have a bend towards being rebellious. We know this. This is not something new. We've addressed some of this throughout this series. And the truth is, is that when it comes to authority, when it comes to authority, our rejection of authority or, or defiance towards authority is rooted in pride. That's what it's rooted in. See, students think that they know more than their teachers. Children think they know more than their parents. Employees think they know more than their boss. The citizens of our nation think they know more than the politicians of our nation. And you're like, I do know more than our politicians. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I hear this stuff all the time. Someone will make a comment and they will say, if Obama would only do this, it would solve our economic problems. Really? Really? Do you think that you, of all people, have the solution to solve the economic problems for a nation and all the economists in the world that are sitting there having conversations with the political leaders of our nations trying to figure this out? If they would just only invite you into the conversation, our entire economy would be affixed. See, that, that, that's rooted in pride. I'm not saying you have to agree with the politics of, of this person or this person or this party or that party. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that don't think that you know better than the other people that are there. We're all, we all have a tendency to do that. I have a tendency to do that. I do that stuff all the time. I do it with politics. I do it in all many areas of my life. But it's rooted in pride. In fact, uh, football season's coming up. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's, all, right, all right, here's, here's the deal. I just want you, I'm going to count to three. I want you to yell it out. Who is your college team? Just yell it out. All right. Now listen. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I like college. I love college football. I'm, I'm not a huge NFL guy, which I know some people are. That's, that's awesome. Uh, but I love college football. And, um, and this is what I've learned about college football and, and the NFL. Is that now that college football and NFL season is coming up, when, when a, a, a crucial point in a game begins to happen, the coach has a lot of pressure on himself to make the decision on what play he's going to call in that game. Now, this is what the coach has done that no fan has done. He's watched every film maybe multiple times over, hours upon hours, studying the other team, their players, their plays, and everything that they do. He's put together a game plan with multiple other coaches who have spent their lives studying the game of football. And so the coach decides to call a play in a crucial point in the game, and the play works, and everyone is cheering and excited, and they say, that coach is a genius. But what happens when he calls the play in a crucial point in the game, and it doesn't work out? We're yelling at the TV. That coach doesn't know what he's doing. They need to fire him off with his head. You know what I'm saying? Like people are freaking out. As, as if we know more about football than that coach knows about football, right? Like we can go through almost every area of our life and just kind of see where we like to put our input in, where we like to step in and use our authority to say that we know more than other people. And listen, that's rooted in pride. And this is what happens. What happens is this bleeds into our spiritual lives as well. And so what we say is this. We say, hey, hey, God, like, I know you say this, but 
but I don't agree with that, and I'm going to do what I want to do over here. God, God, I know you say this, but I'm going to do what I want to do over here. And that's rooted in pride. It is you saying, God, I know better than you. I know you're the God of the universe. I know you're omniscient and all-knowing. I know you're all-present. I know you are amazing. I know you are good. I know you sent your son to die for me. I know that, but listen, but God, I know better than you in this situation, so I'm going to live my life how I want to live life. It's rooted in pride. It's rooted in pride, and we all have the tendency to do this. And I want to, I want to, I want to show you a few things about authority that I think is key for you to get. When we talk about authority, I think there's two things you need to know. I think there's one thing you need to do. And the first thing you need to know is this. is that God's authority is the highest authority. God's authority is the highest authority. If you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It'll be up on the screens. You've got Bibles on your chairs if you want to check that out. And this is what it says. It says, all Scripture, talking about God's, this is the word. It's all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it is inspired by God. That God is the source of the words that are in this book. And notice what it says. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to notice, and this, this scripture is so rich, but I want you to notice just what it starts out with. For all scriptures God breathed. That literally what it's saying is, is that this is inspired by God, that this is God's authority. And this is God's book for life that he's given us under his authority. So it's perfect in every way. As Christians, uh, as Christians or as, as scholars, like, you know, when you go to, you know, become, go to seminary and you learn a lot about theology and, and the study of God, you learn a lot about this different stuff. This is what we would say as Christians that we believe. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scriptures. Verbal means words. Plenary means in its whole or entirety, and inspiration means that, that God breathed it, that God spoke it. So what we would say is we believe that the Bible in its entirety, every word was inspired by God, that it's without error in its entirety. And so we believe that the scripture is the highest authority. That means that it trumps every other authority in our life. So it doesn't matter what my parents say. It doesn't matter what teachers say. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what anyone else says, my friends, my boyfriend, my whatever. God's authority trumps all other authorities. It's kind of like this. To give you an example of, of kind of uh, how things work in our country, in the United States, every state has a court. There's the state court. But our nation has a supreme court. And what happens is, is that the state court can make laws and rules as long as it doesn't violate what the Supreme Court has already determined. So if the state of Georgia said, we want to legalize heroin, but this, I know it's crazy, and, uh, but if, the, if, if, if Georgia decided they wanted to do that and the Supreme Court said, and the Supreme Court has already ruled on that and said, no, you can't do that, then the state court cannot rule on that. At the end of the day, the Supreme Court has the higher authority and the state court must submit to it. Now listen, the scripture is the Supreme Court over everything in this world. Over your worldview, how you think about things, even over the Supreme Court in the United States, which is just under the United States. If, if you were to go to Iran and say, hey, man, the Supreme Court in the United States said this, so we need to do this, the people in Iran would be like, 
We don't care what the Supreme Court in the United States says. See, the Supreme Court of the United States only has authority in the United States. God's word has authority over everything. It is the Supreme Court for all man. That's what it is. And so when you look at it like that, you see that every other thing in our life is like a state court. Now, can the state court make rules? Can the state court? Yes, it can, as long as it does not violate the Supreme Court. Just like you can make rules and do things in your life, as long as it does not violate the ultimate authority, the highest authority, which is in God and who he is in that. So what that means is, is that that means there's, there's truth and there's absolute truth. So that means that there is an actual right and an actual wrong that I don't get to define my truth. So what happens sometimes is people say, yeah, 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 but that's okay for you, but that's not okay for me. Or that's not okay for me, but, but it's okay for you. Yeah, that's your truth. This is my truth. But the truth is, is that, that the Bible teaches us that there is a right and there is a wrong. And we know this, right? Like murder is wrong. If someone was to come up and say, nah, man, I think murder's okay. We would be like, no, 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 listen, bro. Murder is wrong. Now, murder isn't just wrong because the government says that murder's wrong. But we all can sense it in our soul that taking the life of someone else is wrong. That's the reason the Bible says the law of the Lord has been written on your hearts. That we know this, it's written on your hearts. You know what right and wrong is because God's already written that on your hearts. We can sense it. And so someone comes up and says, murder's okay. We can say, no, no, listen, listen. It's not okay. Not just because our government says it's not okay, but also because God's word says that it's not okay. And logically speaking, we just know in our hearts that it's not okay. So what does that lead us to? It leads us to this. I just wrote this down. I'll read it to you because I think this is significant for you to hear and for you to know. Therefore, when it comes to the Bible, every single statement of the Bible calls for instant, unqualified, and unrestricted acceptance for the believer. Every doctrine in the Bible is the teaching of God and therefore requires full agreement. Every promise of the Bible calls for unshakable trust in its fulfillment. And every command of the Bible is the directive of God himself and therefore demands willing observance and obedience. Now, not only is God the highest authority, but the second one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that you are under transferred authority. You are under transferred authority. That God's not the only authority in our life, right? Like we have other authorities in our life. We got parents in our life. We do have the government in our life. We have, we have uh, teachers and coaches and, and other authorities that have been put in place of our life as transferred. Authority. And this is why. The reason is because God hasn't spoken on everything. God hasn't spoken on everything. God has given freedom in this for us to make our own rules to kind of govern certain things in certain life. So let me give you an example. It would be like this. Let's say, let's say you decided that you want to invite a bunch of your friends over and you guys are going to have a paintball fight in your house. Now that would be fun. That would be fun. And, uh, and, and I'm sure your parents would kill you. And uh, so you guys are, I mean, you're suited up, you're masked up, you got your guns, you know what I'm saying? You got one group of people on one side of the house, another group of your friends on the other side of the house, and, and, and you're about to say go, and as you're about to say go, mom and dad walk in the door, and they go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And he said, hey, chill out, mom and dad, throw a mask on, we're about to have a paintball game in the house. And mom and dad say, you can't have a paintball fight in the house. You can't say back to your parents, well, the Bible doesn't say that I can't have a paintball fight in the house. The Bible doesn't address paintball fighting in the house. 
Of course it doesn't, because the Bible doesn't address every little thing. So what God has done is he's placed different people and authority over us in our lives in order to be umpires on how we live, to protect us, to watch out for us, that underneath God's authority, he transfers authority to our parents. And he says to our parents, hey, listen, parents, I'm giving you the authority to raise your kids up and to raise them how you will. But I'm putting some boundaries on it that you must raise them in the boundaries that I've set. But there's a lot of freedom inside of those boundaries for you to raise your kids. And that's what our parents get to do. They get to be kind of umpires in that sort of a way. But what happens if your parents go against God's authority? Well, then it goes back to the first point, right? That God's authority is the highest authority. And we're to submit to that first. So what happens if your mom and dad was to tell you to go and steal something? Well, the Bible tells you to obey your parents, what am I supposed to do? It feels like there's a little bit of a conflict here because I'm supposed to obey my parents, but my, my parents are telling me to do something I shouldn't do. And I, I'm not sure how I should handle this situation. And so what you got to see is, is that God has transferred the authority to your parents and he's given them boundaries. So when your parents step outside of the boundaries that God has given them, they are now acting on authority that God never gave them to begin with. God has given your parents authority to raise you, but your God has, there's a few things that God would say, hey, listen, these, these are stepping outside of the authority pieces that you're allowed to do. It'd be like this. When I was in high school, all I wanted was a Jeep. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jacked up, big tires, big old Jeep. That's what I wanted. Now let's say just for a minute, just for instance, You've been wanting a Jeep, and, and, and you're, like, excited about getting a Jeep, and, but your parents have already told you you're not getting a Jeep. You're not getting what you want, and it's your 16th birthday, and you walk outside, and your parents surprise you, and they get you your dream Jeep. Yes! And you are excited, and then the Jeep's out front, and you're out there, and you're looking at it, and you're checking it out, and you're driving it around. But a month after you get the Jeep, <laughs> you have to go on vacation with a family away for a month. But it's your Jeep. You're going to leave it back at home, but this is what you know. What you know is, is that your BFF, your best friend in the world, loves Jeeps too. And so you go to your BFF, and you say to him, hey, listen, listen, bro, or sis, whatever, if you're a girl. Listen, bro, whatever you girls call each other. And you give him the keys and you say, listen, you're my best friend. You're my boy. Take care of her because every guy's car is a her. Take care of her. And, uh, and, and uh, for the next month, you can have the keys to my Jeep, drive it around as much as you want, as long as you don't break it. But listen, but here's the deal. You are the only person who's allowed to drive it. Now, you go on vacation. You're enjoying your vacation. You get back and you find out that your friend, several weeks into driving your Jeep around, he's loving it. He's like, this is the best thing ever. He's driving the Jeep around. And several weeks in, one of his friends, who you don't know, a complete stranger, he tells that friend, hey, listen, I'm going out with some friends this weekend. I'm going to be away. Why don't you take Derek's Jeep and just drive it around for the weekend? Now, how many of you guys would be a little upset about that? Yeah, every person who's sane would be. Because here's the deal. I transferred authority over to this guy so he could use my Jeep. I give him the authority, but I put a boundary on it and said, you're the only one who can drive it. 
The moment that he gave the keys to someone else and let them drive it, he is now acting outside of the authority, and I would be upset about that. And this is the same way in this situation. God has given us authority in our life, and they must act inside of the realm of that authority as well. Now, I use parents as an example, but I can use anything as an example. I could use the government. I could use teachers. I can use bosses and employee relationships. And this is what I would tell you. God has asked us, as his children, to submit to authority. In fact, this is what I would tell you to do. If there's two things I want you to know, this is what I want you to do. Submit to authority. Submit to authority. And this is the interesting thing about it. The Bible doesn't say submit to authority as long as you like what your authority is telling you. In other words, what that means is, is that because God has transferred authority to your parents, your parents can come up with the dumbest rules on the planet and put them on you. As long as they don't violate God's word, your parents have every right to do that. If your parents want to make your curfew 6 o'clock, come on. Worst parents ever, right? But your parents can do that. That is, that is not a biblical thing. And listen, listen, listen. And your reaction to that proves my point on where we are when it comes to submitting to authority, right? Like we're to submit to authority regardless of what the rule is because this is what happens when we do that. We are showing, we are honoring God in that and we are showing other people how we honor them. And let me show you how this works practically. Let's say you have a parent who does not believe in Jesus, who has no relationship with God and you're praying for them and you want them to come to know Christ. They hate that you go to church. In fact, sometimes they make you not go to church. It's difficult for you if you don't obey them and honor them, even if their rules are ridiculous, it's difficult for you to show them the love of Christ. Hey, your, your, your Bible that you say you believe in talks about honoring and obeying, but you don't do that. So how are you over here talking about how I need to have Jesus when you're not even following what Jesus says. This is the reason the scripture tells slaves. The Bible does not condone slavery. The Bible's against slavery, but this is what it says. It says, hey, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Love them, care for them. Do what they tell you to do. Because by doing that, you are acting differently than, than the other slaves, and they want to know why you're different. And hopefully, by doing that, it would influence them to come to know Christ. That you can influence people through your submission. If you've got your Bibles, flip over uh, just a few pages there from uh, 2 Timothy to uh, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. I want to read this to you. Listen to this. It's so good. Submit yourselves... For the Lord's sake, to every human authority. So this is for us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Notice what it says. Whether to emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The interesting thing about this is, is that Peter is writing this during the day of emperors who were strongly opposing Christianity and even killing Christians by the thousands. And he says, listen, submit to their authority. They oppose you. They don't like you. They want to kill you, but submit to them. You don't like it. You don't like what they're about, but submit to their authority. 
And he goes on in verse 15, he says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now that statement, honor the emperor, is a big deal when you think about the type of people that were in charge during this time. And in our generation, we've made authority a bad word. We've wrongly assumed that that authority has to do with equality. See, equality is your value and your worth. And we are all equal when it comes to our value and worth, especially before God, because the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross for all, for all men, for every one of us, that God considers us all valuable. But when it comes to authority, we're not all equal. We're not all equal. If I was, if you were to go home tonight and tell your parents, hey, listen, you guys need to clean up your room and do the dishes before you can watch TV. You're probably going to get smacked. If an employee was to tell their boss, hey, I'm going to need you to work on these few projects here uh, before you do what you're doing right now. Probably not going to go well for you. But your parents can say to you, hey, you, can clean, you need to clean your room and do the dishes before you can watch TV. Completely acceptable. Your boss can say to you, hey, you need to work on these projects and tell you whatever to do because he has that authority over you. And we are to submit to that authority. I love what Hebrews 13 says, and I think that there's two reasons God has placed authority over us. I want to read you these, or show you these two things, then we're done. If you got your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. It's the last chapter of Hebrews. And I want to read this to you, man. This is so good. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9. And I'm going to read verse 17. Look at this. Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of, the, of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, this is what he's saying. Hey, listen, you're looking around at the people around you whose lives are destructive and who are destroying their lives. He's saying, don't look at them. Look at the leaders who are ahead of you and imitate their life, which, by the way, is why we have amazing adult volunteers that serve in our high school ministry. It's why we have life groups here so that you can get connected with people who are imitating uh, a relationship with Christ. It's why we have connection groups, which are starting up in a couple weeks. It's why we have these things so that you can connect with people who are imitating Christ and who are growing in their faith so that you can see what a model of that looks like. And this is what he's saying. Remember those leaders. Consider the outcomes of their way of life. Look at their life. Look at the people who are ahead of you and the life that they have who you want to have and go spend time with those people. Don't look at the people around you who don't have the life that you want to have one day. Then he goes on. Jesus Christ in the same, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not, carry, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, um, uh, not, uh, not by eating ceremonial foods. In other words, he's saying that uh, uh, they, they, it was all about rules. They had to eat food this way and do all this kind of stuff. It's not about that is what he's saying. It's about God's grace. And he says, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Then look what he says in verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders. Again, going back to this. And submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you 
as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will, not, will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. The reason why we submit to authority is this, is because they watch over our souls. They watch over who we are. Our parents watch over us. They care for us. They love us. At least most of us, that's true. The leaders that are here, myself, others in your life that are leading you, they care about you. Consider what they say. Consider the words that they say. Consider their encouragement. Consider their challenge to you. Consider their confrontation. Remember the opening scripture? For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful in teaching, which we're doing now, correcting and rebuking, which sometimes you need, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sometimes we need correction and rebuke. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes that's, that's what we need. See, God knows that we and ourselves are, are, are prone to being self-destructive. And so God puts leaders in our life and tells us to consider them to submit to those authorities in our life so that we don't destroy ourselves. And I'm telling you, if you have struggles with authority, you're going to have a long road ahead of you. You're going to have a long road ahead of you. The second reason God has placed authority over us is that God has also placed authority over us so that we can learn how to submit to him. See, the truth is, is that in learning how to submit to our parents, we are actually learning how to submit to God. In learning how to submit to our earthly fathers, we are learning how to submit to our heavenly father. And I found this to be true, that typically if you have a difficult time with authority in your earthly life, with the earthly people around you, you have a difficult time with authority from God. In fact, show me a student who has major broken relationships with their parents. Show me a student that has major broken relationships with other authority figures in their life. And most of the time, unless the parents are rogue and it is a crazy thing that they're dealing with, there's also some authority issues with them and God. As a student, that's the challenge tonight. To submit to authority, to submit to the authority of God and to submit to the authority that God has placed around you. And I realize this, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear my heart on this. God has asked us to honor and obey and submit to the authorities in our life, but the truth is that some of us at times in our life will have people in our lives that are not honorable. They're not honorable. Maybe that's even a parent. And that burdens me for you. And I want to pray for you in that. But I want you to know this. That hopefully, through you loving them and submitting to their authority, even with them being dishonorable, that it would bring honor to God, it would bring honor to your Father, your true Father in heaven, Jesus. And then it would begin to change their hearts. You have a choice every day to be defiant. You have a choice every day to walk in him. But it's your choice. And the only person that is going to live with the consequences for whatever you choose is you. So choose wisely.